Optimal Bio podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at OptimalBio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Well, Greg, this is a very opportunistic podcast today because we're going to talk about sugar. And of course, it's (laughs) the day after Halloween where most parents are probably indulging themselves with their kids' candy stash of the night before. And of course, the kids are running around wanting multiple helpings of sugar as well. So welcome. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. So why don't we get into it? Um, before we talk about the negative effects of sugar, uh, can you kind of walk us through what sugar, when ingested, actually does to the body in very simplistic layman's terms? First off is there's three main, I'll say, um, sources of energy for our bodies. Fat, sugar, and protein. Protein's the last thing you want to use for energy because that's what we're made out of. Uh, that's our enzymes, our hormones, uh, our uh, our muscle, our heart. So we're made out of protein. That's where the DNA actually forms. Uh, fat is a great source of energy. Sugar is not that great of it, but it's actually used quickly if need to be. So simply, sugar, when we hear about sugar, we think about table sugar. And that's made up of a, it's called a disaccharide. It's two molecules hooked together. One's glucose and one's fructose. And that's table sugar or sucrose. When we talk about sugar today, Jim, we'd be talking about the, the molecule glucose, which has six carbons in it. And it is simply a, um, a source of energy and also used for other things as well. But it's, the, uh, it's, the, it's a quick source of energy. And I want to lay that down real quick. Um, overall, energy in our body, there's a thing called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. When that triphosphate becomes a diphosphate, that releases energy. And that's how everything on our body works. That's the currency of our, of our body. So uh, glucose molecules, uh, they net about two ATPs per molecule. On a side note, a fat molecule, roughly around 18 carbons, actually gives us 40 ATPs. So there's a little bit of side note how important fat is versus glucose for energy. So what could, could one translate that if I, because you always, in the past at least, you've always been told that, you know, sugar can give you this quick burst of energy. But it sounds to me that if you ingested fat um, in the same, let's say, amount as you did sugar, you would get far longer lasting energy. Is that correct? Yeah, you would. The key is, first off, your body has to be fat adaptable. And our our body is extremely smart. So if sugar's floating around, your body has to use sugar first. And then what the, the body does is the extra sugar we ingest, we put into our muscle and our liver long chains of molecules called glycogen. So there's about two, three days of glycogen uh, saved. So you have to burn through your glucose floating on your blood, that the glycogen that's saved, and then your body will go in what's called ketosis and then learn to adapt again to become burning fat. So you're right. If, if, if your body is fat adaptable, which you can change it, we'll talk about later in the podcast, they can make your body use, use either fat or sugar, whatever available is the most optimal body type. Um, then it would use fat first and sugar when it needs it for a spurt. Yes. But still, overall, you get more bang for the buck for fat if you're fat adaptable. Okay. And are there, 
humans that aren't fat adaptable? Uh, how about all Americans? <laughs> it's because <laughs> well, explain the that. Pyra- the, well, the food pyramid killed us, right? When you talk about nine to thirteen grains a day, grains are. We'll go over that detail too. Is more sugar again? You get this. Here's how, here's how the body works. When your body gets glucose. Your body, then the pancreas called the beta cells of, of Langeser, make this thing called insulin. We all heard about insulin. So once your body sees the glucose molecule, insulin is made. About 20 minutes, 30 minutes after you eat, insulin spikes. And then the job of insulin is to put the sugar out of your bloodstream and into your cell so your cell can use it. And then what happens is the cell will turn that glucose molecule into a storage thing called glycogen, like we talked about. But you have so much glycogen, the cell will die if it keeps on taking glucose to put it into glu- into glycogen. So this is what it does. Then it converts to stored as fat. So sugar becomes fat, the bad fat, visceral fat around your body. Eating fat doesn't do that. So that's the function of insulin. So if you eat the standard American diet, SAD, SAD, you're eating three meals a day, two, three snacks a day. Every single time you eat, your insulin pumps up 20, 30 minutes later, pushes glucose into your cell. Your glucose is already full, forms glycogen, it's already full, converts it to fat. And that's what the American diet has done to us. Fascinating. Uh, there's also a problem too. We'll get maybe if you want to do in detail. What do you do with the extra sugar that cannot be pushed into the cell? It, it won't store it as fat. It won't store it as glucose. That floats around. That's called a uh, advanced glycogen uh, end product. So this gl- uh, glucose is very sticky, Jim. I, I maybe everybody heard about hemoglobin A1C. That's the extra sugar. That's, that cast the sticks to some protein. And the first protein it stick to is red blood cells. And that's a sign of, of diabetes. Here's a big one, Jim. It, sits to, it sticks to every single other molecule uh, cell in the body. Uh, one is called Alzheimer's disease, actually type three diabetes. And then fructose is even worse. It's, it sticks seven times more than that. So that's why it's very important to be properly balanced so these end products are not formed. So there, we've all been reading recently that there's been a much, it's continued to increase, but it seems like it's spiked even more over the last year um, with more and more Americans being diagnosed with diabetes. And I think there's two types of diabetes, or maybe there's three, but there's, you know, diabetes two, diabetes one. Can you explain the difference between both of those? Yeah, diabetes one is used to be called juvenile diabetes because so it happens in children or diagnosed in that early age of, you know, under teenagers. That's when the beta cells produce no insulin, no insulin. Type two diabetes is where you make too much insulin, but the receptors are resistant. Jason Fung is a world famous nephrologist. He wrote two books called Obesity Code and Diabetes Code. And he started thinking, so we treat one diabetes where you make no, where you make no insulin, the same exact way where you make too much insulin. And he got, he has a whole couple of books on intermittent fasting, how that works. So the answer is, it all happened, Jim, back to the food pyramid, pyramid 1977, got pushed through by the grain company. You can look back from the mid seventies on where diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, metabolic syndrome, atherosclerosis, um, obesity, all increased tremendously based upon something we knew scientifically at the biochemistry level. This is what sugar does. It causes fat. 
And uh, that's been our disease problem. Now we're, uh, we're actually combating that in medicine because we have to deal with all the repercussions of those diseases. Uh, diabetes is just a, another disease uh, uh, from obesity. So is the type one diabetes caused by diet also, or is that just something that is hereditary or genetic or whatever? Uh, it's, not, it's not hereditary, Jim. It appears to be a virus. Some, some believe maybe a vaccine attacking the receptor site but it's definitely something um, that attacks the receptor site, uh, excuse me, it attacks the production of the beta cells within the pancreas. So therefore it does not make any insulin. That's life-threatening, Jim. Right, and because it's not making insulin, then they obviously have to get the synthetic insulin um, right. to live, right. and uh, which is obviously different than the type two diabetes. Right, exactly. This type two diabetes is actually a, a way to treat that is just not to increase your insulin, but decrease your sugar. That's all, that's all you have to do with diet type two diabetes. And the problem is, is our, again, our body's very smart when sugar's floating around, you know what? It may be less efficient only getting two ATPs, but I have more work to do to get the, the fat to be work. It's so all store it. And, um, I, I'll get more detail later in Jason's book, what that does actually for our, our, our metabolism. But, uh, Jim, sugar should be in small amounts, um, in a constricted amount of time when you eat. It's, it's not the best uh, form of energy. And that's the problem is the waste product is, is terrible. Are there any health benefits to sugar? Well, again, in, in a, in a medical, in a hypoglycemic state, low sugar, the, again, we have these juvenile diabetes, you, needing sugar is life, is life saving. But here's what happens with the extra sugar, Jim. Uh, maybe our, our, our listeners heard about free radicals. In, in our body, all these molecules, every electron is paired up. Every electron has an orbit, has two of them. If one has one electron that's out, it's called a free radical. And that one extra electron is looking to bind with something to get another electron. That's why um, free radicals, think about rust with iron. It's very uh, corrosive. So when you have these hyperglycemic states, you increase your free radicals. But even worse than that, what sugar does is a couple things. There's a thing called glutathione in our body. Vitamin E and vitamin C are anti-free radicals because what they do is they donate electrons to molecules that need electrons. So vitamin E donates one electron, vitamin C could donate two electrons. So, but where does vitamin C and vitamin E get their electrons? They get it from glutathione. We uh, actually uh, can ingest uh, um, N-acetylcysteine, which is a precursor to this three amino acid protein called glutathione. And that's the molecule that's crucial to help the, the vitamin E and vitamin uh, C get their, to, to reboot themselves, they could do their fighting, fighting for radicals. Also, vitamin C and glucose are almost the same structure. So when they compete for ingestion into our body, which wins? Sugar wins. And interesting, every mammal needs vitamin C, but we're the only mammals that don't make vitamin C. So it's a double whammy there. It decreases the absorption of the most important free radical fighters we have, vitamin C, and also it destroys glutathione, which is the free radical rebooster. That's just one part of what sugar does to our body. I'll go with how, how the theory on cancer is tremendous uh, out of Dr. Warburg's event. So let's talk about some of the other definitions of sugar. In this case, high fructose corn syrup seems to be, seemed to be uh, in the past uh, in most of our foods and... I think over the last five or six years or so, there's been a pretty big movement to replace that with, with plain old sugar. Um, can you walk us through the difference between 
you know, high fructose corn syrup and sugar. Remember I said at the beginning, sucrose is two molecules, glucose and fructose um, structures. So high, corn, uh, high, high uh, fructose corn syrup is from corn and they concentrate the fructose over the actual levels that are usually there. And therefore, it's, it, has a, it has a higher sweetness taste too. But Jim, we talked about before, when you have extra glucose floating around, that's called, again, AGEs, advanced glycated end products, which causes distortion to proteins. Remember, fructose is seven times more damaging. Uh, Duke has some great papers showing that fructose is actually the cause of non-fatty liver failure. It's uh, alcohol syndrome causes the same thing to the liver, but without the buzz is, is, is what happens because you don't get any buzz from the fructose, but it wipes your liver out. Um, so it's not healthier. It's just a quicker cheaper way of sweeteners. Uh, our body was not used to that kind of sweetness. That's been added to our foods over the last, you know, hundred years of progressive, um, so-called, you know, cheaper foods is to get that taste. And we have more salt and food and sugar added to our food. So we li we'd like some of these pale tastes, but fructose is disgusting for our body. Now out of fruit is different, Jim, out of fruit, it's there. It's at lower concentrations. It's wrapped up in proteins. It's harder to digest. How did, how, it's, you can't absorb high levels of it. Um, so it's a, it, your body has to work to get it. And therefore it's, it's a better way to absorb it. When you just get pure, you know, think of, you know, syrup coming down your mouth, that actually just bypasses your complete uh, digestive tract. There's been studies that show, Jim, that colon cancer, in the colon, these sugars, the high corn syrup and candies and sodas, they're not metabolized at all. They just fly right through the intestine to the, the polyps grown in the colon with, where sugar should never be and actually coating um, and call it one of the reasons we're causing colon cancers to grow down there. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about that and I was surprised that uh, some of these uh, synthetic sugars, so to speak, or artificial sweeteners um, bypass the digestive system. How are they able to do that? Whew. Jim, they're made out of petroleum byproducts. It's, it's disgusting. A sucralose aspartamine. There's a molecule in our receptor sites called GLUT4 um, that actually, what that does, that brings glucose into a cell. So you're thinking artificial sweeteners would do maybe, sugar does that, but aspartamine and, and, and sucralose does it significantly higher at a faster rate um, uh, than regular glucose. So now you're taking this to, for the picture this, diabetics are taking artificial sugars, yet at the molecular level, that molecule stimulates their absorption of glucose even more. And it actually gets concentrated in bladder, lung, and brain. And there's a lot of literature and animal studies um, showing that there's increased tumor growth in, in mice uh, in mice that was studied on aspartamine. It took, it took years to get aspartamine actually through the FDA approved uh, because of all the tumors they formed in animals. What about the, the natural plant that's out there now, stevia? Is that, is that different? Interesting. Aspartamine does one thing too, Jim, since we're optimal bio about hormones. Uh, and an NCBI study in 2020 showed that uh, aspartamine actually attacks the Leydig cells. The Leydig cells are the cells within the testicles that actually make testosterone. Stevia has been shown to actually decrease testosterone as well. It is, it is natural, organic stevia. There's a taste to it. It does not do the same uh, GLUT4 receptor site. It's just more of a taste, but it does, again, affect testosterone. Um, there are studies on, on Jim. We, it, it's amazing how much testosterone is affected by glucose. Just 75 grams of glucose, say 
an average, a, a, a two Snickers bars decreases testosterone 25% within two hours. And does the body make that up after the well, Snickers well, has gone they, through yeah, the body? Uh, yeah, after a few days, it brings it back up. Exactly. But the problem is you're getting that you get, we, we don't just eat 75 grams an hour and then we build back up. The average American needs that at every meal over and over and over again. I think that's why um, if you look back at the data from the 40s and 50s, an American male was between 800 and 1400 uh, milligrams of nanograms per deciliter of testosterone. Now the average American male is between 170 and 700. It's literally half of what it used to be because just picture the American diet the last 50 years. Plus we talked before in our podcast about neuroendocrine disruptors, uh, xenoestrogens like plastics and BPA from our last podcast that compounds all this. It's basically, Jim, our American side, the standard American diet, the American lifestyle has destroyed the production of testosterone. So let's go back to, again, talking about sugar. The, it seems to be, you had made a comment, not on, the, on a podcast, but you made a comment in practice that um, fat does not cause weight gain, sugar causes weight gain. So in effect, you could literally, I, I take that as you could eat a couple of teaspoons of bacon grease, for example, and you could eat a couple of teaspoons of sugar and you're going to be fatter because you're eating the sugar. Is that Not just fatter? You'd be you'd be more healthy with the bacon fat. <laughs> Besides that, <laughs> um, mm. so I it's, so I think you know. Obviously, there's a lot of sugar that's embedded in a lot of these processed products that are in the middle of the grocery store aisle. Crackers, for example, cereals, and 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 what have you. Um, when you're going down that aisle, though, and you're looking at oatmeal, for example, and you know you notice it's it's organic, it's you know, it's Quaker Oaks organic, let's say, and then literally it's just oats in a, you know, a cardboard box, basically. There's no, nothing added to it and what have you. Um, is, is, if somebody's looking to lose weight, is that a good option for them? Terrible. Uh, there's about 60 to 80 grams of carbohydrates in that oatmeal per bowl. Um, it's the same as two Rupert floats. Yeah, I mean, Jim, this is the, the grains are a problem. We get the whole story on, on the gene genetically modified organisms as well, but the grains are, uh, most grains are just packed with sugar. And the way they've been processed over the whole year, uh, over, the, over, the, over the years, uh, corn was originally a grass and it's been modified now to be one of the highest um, amount of sugar possible for any vegetable. So Jim, it, it's, it's, it, I know it doesn't make sense, eat oatmeal, be healthy for your heart. That's baloney. Uh, your body makes 2,000 to 4,000 milligrams of cholesterol a day. Your brain's a 95% cholesterol. Your heart's 85% cholesterol. Cholesterol is mandatory. So what you want to lower, and this is what sugar does. This is the problem with this. This is how you, atherosclerosis is an inflammatory disease. Dr. Mark Houston, um, you said be at Vanderbilt, wrote a great book on this, Jim. It's how does the lining gets, get in, get disease where cholesterol gets into it to build this uh, atherosclerosis. It's sugar that causes free radicals. It causes this cholesterol cannot go through the bloodstream. Oil and water don't mix. So it must be wrapped in a protein. That's called a lipoprotein. When that particle, that particle carrying cholesterol is damaged, it then penetrates the lining of the wall. And that's how the atherosclerosis is formed. Well, what damages that particle? Sugar. 
Again, sugar. These a, these advanced glycogen in products cause these free radicals, and they and they destroy endothelial lining from the gut to the brain to the, the to the endovascular aspect of our cardiovascular system. We just we just take too much sugar. Too much sugar has has to go somewhere, and it causes this damage, Jim. Little fun fact: in 100 grams of sugar, there's 382 calories. <laughs> Another, another fun fact, Jim, 25 milligrams of sugar, 25, that's like less than a Snickers bar, causes enough inflammation for the, uh, increases your inflammatory markers for 30 minutes. Again, free radicals. One liter of Coke in a British study has shown it decreases your body's ability to fight infection by 40% for five hours. Wow. It's just, it's just, it's over and over. That's why you, uh, Chapel Hill did a paper last summer that said only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy. And that's what they mean. Metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure, uh, increased bad lipids, uh, obesity, blood pressure, and high hemoglobin A1C is all because of the diet, Jim. I don't want to become political on this, but Jefferson clearly said, if you ever allow the government to tell you what's food to take and medicine to take, you'll be in the worst state of tyranny. You, 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 me, the man and woman in the mirror, we're the king and queen, and we should decide what goes in our body because the repercussions of those should be our responsibility, not listening to people that have no responsibility for these actions, Jim. And it's just very frustrating to hear. If anybody knew how the food pyramid got through, it was one man on Senator McGovern's staff in 1977 who worked for the grain companies pushed it through. It's a lobbyist. It's all this is. Then it affects 300 million people for the next 70 years. And now we're fighting with that, the repercussions of that. When we used to eat eggs and bacon and walk everywhere and we didn't have atherosclerosis. Look back at the, in the 1910s, we died, yes, of trauma and dirty water, but we did not die of diabetes, dementia, cardiovascular disease, or cancer, or even near the rate we are today. There's a great book called The 100-Year Lie about the FDA. It's phenomenal. It goes over the data, hard data. There also is an argument out there right now that because we're living longer, um, humans are getting ailments that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten. And when they died in their you know late fifties, early sixties, and what have you, is there any is there any truth to that? Well, I, I don't I don't think so, Jim. When you look back at the data, because those diseases are progressive diseases that we get now and that we're dying of now, but they start earlier. So when you start seeing the signs of those diseases, they weren't there then, Jim. Um, but um, there was a there was a, pa a paper done uh, about 1930 looking at England, and it was from looking looking at men between 1850 and 1880 versus 1880 and 1920. And it's just a very interesting study. To be drafted in the army, you had to be five foot six, and from 1850 to 1880, that was it. But from 1880, after the industrial revolution kicked in, they had to knock it down to five foot three. Because, and the study shows, before people ate freeway, uh, usually free-range chicken and free-range pig and had a lot of vegetables from their gardens. Um, and the average American there, uh, the average British in the study, actually burned, three, uh, ate three times the calories we eat today. But from 1880 to 1920, Jim, they had processed canned food, they had processed canned vegetables, and they actually showed a weaker, a weaker society that they actually had to lower the rate to draft people to the army. Uh, paper, the book's about 300-page uh, book, pretty good book on this. But again, the data here, Jim, it's our body, it's simple, our body is made to eat fat, 
and protein, protein to build it, fat for the energy, and sugar for quick. The fear, you know, the fright or flight response, that's what sugar is good for. That's what, a, you know, adrenaline, when it pops in real quick, it releases sugar quickly called gluconeogenesis so you could get out of there fast. So there is benefits to it, Jim, but not a diet based upon eating three, 400, uh, 500 grams of, of carbohydrates a day. We see the repercussions of that today, Jim. This is what we're seeing today. We're seeing, you know, kids, with 66% of Americans are over weight. One third or obese, Jim. That is because repercussions are back, back to the way we're eating sugar. You mentioned earlier that, uh, and I'm interpreting what you said, that sugar potentially could be a cause for hypertension. And we've been told that salt, a high salt diet actually causes hypertension. So are both doing it or, or is there, you know, less issue on salt, more concern you should have on sugar? Well, well, which salt, Jim? And again, a lot of the salt we get today is purified, does have all, all the minerals in it. Uh, pink salt, Himalayan salt, Celtic salt, different type. Uh, Dr. Brownstein, who we've had honor being on our podcast a couple of times this past year, he wrote a, book, a great book called Salt that goes to the benefits of salt. Uh, obviously, too much of purified salt can be a problem. But sugar is the ultimate one. Um, Dr. Oh, he's at Boston University, um, starts with an S, Stagelmeyer, wrote a great book called Cancer, the Metabolic Disease. And he goes through how cancer, this is very interesting, cancer cells can only grow by fermentation, by sugar. They cannot grow on fat. Remember the very beginning of our podcast, fat has more energy per molecule than glucose, but cancer cells can only grow on, on sugar. It's called the Warburg effect. He wrote that paper in 1924, he won the Nobel Prize in 1931. And uh, this book, against uh, uh, Thomas Steinmeier um, at Boston University, it goes to the whole detail of these mainly brain tumors and what he's doing, giving them low ketosis uh, diets, uh, glucagon, which is anti-insulin, and showing some remission with these things. I'm not saying secure, I'm just saying, because the question again is, it appears, and he's showing like, when you take a breast tissue with some cancer, there may be 50, 60 different mutations. That can't come, that can't from, come from one cell line. But his theory is that the cell itself gets weak, the mitochondria gets weak, called dysfunctional, then the cell gets weak and then becomes metaplastic and dysplastic. So, um, I could go down to what sugar does bad all the time, Jim, because we used to eat sugar great, but at small amounts, small amounts. And our, and our fruit now has been modified so much. It's so much sweeter than uh, a natural berries that used to be out there in the uh, organic aspect of it. Yeah, I remember uh, probably about seven or eight years ago, we had a uh, college student come over from Scotland and she stayed at our house all summer. And obviously... Uh, we would have bread with dinner every once in a while before we got smart. And she kept commenting on, on how that bread that she was eating, and we thought it was, you know, the, the, the most healthy possible bread you could possibly eat. Um, but she kept saying that, wow, this bread, it's almost like a sweet bread. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like it should be served for dessert. And, um, <laughs> you know, I found that very interesting. And then later on, when I went over to the UK, um, I did notice that there's a significant difference in the, the sweetness in breads um, uh, from this country to other countries. Oh yeah, they've shown there's more sugar and salt in our in our cereals and our breads. I don't know if you remember last year Ireland sued um, sued Subway um, because they, they in, in Ireland they can't call their bread bread because it's a dessert. I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I know we're doing a lot of talking here, but it says there's, there's uh, uh, again, back to Jason Fung. 
the book, he, he's a nephrologist and most nephrology disease is caused by diabetes. So he was thinking, I can't always tell my patients or make them on what to eat, but he thought he wrote a book, he's talked, but I could help them when to eat. And he was just articulating a known thing we've done for, you know, for years, intermittent fasting, which is very interesting, Jim. When your body does not get food for around 12 hours, it's called a uh, starvation, non-malnourished state. Because when the cell's fat and happy, there's waste products to our cells within the cells. And they store it in the cell. They leave it there because there's nothing to do. But when they get in that state, the cell goes, uh-oh, I, I may not get food for a while. What can I do? So then it eats up the bad stuff within the cell. So it makes the cell healthier. That's what, this intermittent fasting is not a diet. It's a metabolic healthy thing. So the body eats itself called audiophagy, eats the bad stuff of itself. And then uh, also the mitochondria eats the bad mitochondria called mitophagy. So what it does, it leaves a healthier cell, which can be more resistant to cancers, more resistant to inf infection, more resistant to inflammation. That's the benefits of intermittent fasting. And also your body uh, gets in that state where, okay, now it becomes a fat adapter. Um, uh, Mark Sisson's book, Primal Blueprint, goes through this pretty details, new book called Two Meals a Day, goes through this as well, as well as Sean, he's on our, Sean Baker, he's on our podcast uh, on carnivore diet. That's what the body's very, very smart and very adaptable. But when you're, but when it's soaked in sugar, it just gets fat and lazy. The cell does, and therefore the organ does, and therefore we do. And the worst fat in the world we talked about at the very beginning is that visceral fat. So the fat around the liver and pancreas builds up there first, and then around the omentum there, it causes inflammation, causes the enzymes not to release, uh, release crack, uh, correctly. That's the problem, Jim. It's, there's, it's not sugar itself, it's too much sugar for too long. So can you, I know you're not an Alzheimer's expert, but can you walk us through what the body does that potentially could put people in danger regarding Alzheimer's? Yeah, Alzheimer's is where you have these, uh, these um, these, these, these uh, beta tentacles that stick together, these, these fibrils, and you can actually see pictures of them uh, electromicroscopically change with more sugar where they become more entangled. Um, and they're more entangled, they can't do their function. And sugar actually is found in, it's called amyloid, uh, amyloid um, these amyloid proteins. An amyloid protein is fine, but when it breaks up in a fragment that's too short or too long, it causes these tentacles. Just picture a tree with a root. These, the, the tentacles look like roots. Again, sugar enhances that inflammatory process with uh, MS, with Alzheimer's, with Parkinson's. All neurogenic diseases has dysfunctional mitochondria within them. Um, therefore, again, back to our idea of keeping the mitochondria healthy, the cell will stay healthy. Again, that's why the new name for Alzheimer's is type three diabetes, Jim, is because what sugar can do to that. It's fascinating. So if you're suffering from autoimmune or some, suffering some of the other diseases you mentioned, your best bet uh, to reduce your inflammation is to get off all forms of uh, artificial, uh, natural, and synthetic sugars. Yeah, all sugars get a ketosis. Um, some places now, when you go there for cancer therapy, they put you in a ketotic state and high vitamin D, which is very important. Um, but yeah, do you want to decrease? I know we've talked about before, but there, and I, I'm, I'm taking from Mark Houston's book again um, on, on cardiovascular disease, but our body, doesn't matter if it's leaky gut, doesn't matter if it's atherosclerosis, doesn't matter if it's a neurogen disease, doesn't matter what it is. There's only three ways, three pathophysiologies that our cell gets beat up. 
the endothelium of a system is attacked, so endothelial damage. Then you get an immune response, and then you get inflammation. The immune response and inflammation are great when they're acute for short periods. That's how your body heals itself. The problem is when the damage keeps, uh, the endothelial damage continues, continues, and continues, and you've, you have a continuous uh, inf- immune response and a continuous inflammatory response, that's the problem. That leads to atherosclerosis, Alzheimer's, um, yeah, um, any, any, any itis, inflammation thereof. So that, and autoimmune disease, again, Jim, that's our body attacking itself. So when you could decrease the inflammatory response into your body, um, we've heard a lot with, with cytokine storm. That's an inflammatory response. What that is, is when you have an acute response against an infection, your body puts this protection around that inflammation that, so that's just the bathos is getting attacked. Those are called dendritic, dendritic cells. So they keep the bad stuff going to the bad places, but the good cells stay healthy. What makes those cells occur? Vitamin D. That's why vitamin D was crucial in this COVID stuff or any immune response because it makes the bad stuff occur, stay localized, so the rest of the body does not get the pulmonary edema. That's the cytokine storm throughout the whole body, primarily the lung tissue. So vitamin D protects that. So we got to make sure, I believe, what we do at Optimal Biogym is strengthen the endothelial lining, shorten the immune response, and shorten the inflammation. You do that, then you get an optimal um, system, their body, to, to be able to be in this hostile environment and have a li- live a very productive life. So let's walk through the natural sugars real quick um, as it relates to inflammation, weight loss, and what have you. Uh, bananas, for example, probably the number one fruit consumed in the world. Uh, oranges, apples, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What's your recommendation on that? Tremendous amount of sugar. I, I recommend, again, this is the most important part, Jim. Um, for those that, when I was an OBGYN for years too, and I took care of a, a lot of diabetics, that was one of the things that very big in my practice. And if you look at the American Diabetes Association diet, they recommend three meals a day, three snacks of 20 to 30 grams of carbs at every, every meal. That actually causes diabetes. It's insane. I reversed that after reading uh, Mark Sisson's book and, and doing more studies on myself concerning the amount of uh, uh, carbohydrates you want to eat. But basically 25 to 40 grams of carbs a day is what you want to do. A, re- a regular banana is 40. But Jason's book, Obesity Code and Diabetes Code, really makes it simpler, Jim. If you could have 12 to 14 hours of no food, those eight to 10 hours you eat does open up your opportunity to have a little more sugar because your body will, will be bombarded over those eight hours. So I used to be very strict, say 25 grams of carbs a day, if you had three meals a day and didn't have this intermittent fasting part. But if you can do basically lunch and dinner or breakfast and dinner, a breakfast and lunch, basically two meals a day, then roughly about 50 to 80 grams of carbs. And if the carbs are complex, that means out of vegetables, very little fruit. So they're harder to get out of your body. All right, 100 calories of, of broccoli is different than 100 calories of sugar, right? So this whole idea of calories in, calories out, there's not one scientific paper showing that, none. It's what type of macromolecules? Is it fat? Is it sugar? Is it protein? That's much more important. And then you combine that with the intermittent fasting, it, it ties together beautifully, Jim, because then during those eight hours, you're exposed to insulin for only eight hours. Eat, eat your high, higher fat, higher, I, I think it'll be like 40%, 45% fat, 40, 45% protein, and about 5% complex carbohydrates is a great, well-balanced diet. Um, 
And then you have your other hours off where your body could learn to become fat adaptable. So now you're in a position where you have to have, we'll say oatmeal or some more sugar. Your body can use it, but not get the detriments that it does if it has it every single meal, every single day for years. So let's talk about children for a second. You have kids still uh, that are uh, in middle school and high school and, uh, you know, seems like most families will, you know, have breakfast for their kids in the morning and, you know, they'll serve them some type of cereal and what have you. Um, if you were giving advice to, you know, parents that are out there right now as it relates to a breakfast meal, what should they do? Eggs, fat, full yogurt. Again, you want the best butt bang for the calorie and fat is it. So once you learn that bacon, uh, I understand you got to watch out for nitrates. I understand that. And you want to get the best source bacon you can. But the bottom line is fat protein is what you should do. And, 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 and I say no carbohydrates, especially for children. No, I'm not saying that, but a complex, maybe organic steel cut where maybe a, some oatmeal is a not for adults, I'm talking children, Jim. That is not the main part of their breakfast. It's about 25 grams of carbohydrates on top of all their fat. That would be a well-balanced diet. But like orange juice, worst thing in the world. It's 50 grams of pure sugar. It's like eating candy bars. And, and then for hydration, there's nothing, we're made, we're made on water, Jim. So water, may put a little lemon in it for some taste. Uh, actually some benefit too, being, being acidic there. But that's what I would do. It's our house is eggs and bacon. Now your kids play soccer, right? Yes. Let's talk about the infamous soccer world with kids, with their backpacks. They play, they practice, they drink Gatorade like it's going out of style. Um, how healthy is a Gatorade bottle? Terrible. So read, just reading, if you can't read the ingredients and pronounce them, that tells you something. The original Gatorade was pickle juice. Okay. It was pickle juice. It was an acidic thing with some water, and that was the original Gatorade um, when University of Florida yeah, used it. But now, Jim, the colorings, the dyes. Again, I go back. The best hydration is water, and if you need some sugar involved, that'd be you know eating a, a, eating a little bit of orange slice. It's, we don't need that much again. Hydration is water. That's life threatening. That's life uh, changing. If if um, if you. I was just going to think of, think of a movie, but I'm not going to bring it up. Um, but you just think about it. Water's what we're made out of, Jim. So water's what it has to, what, what is the best hydration thing there is. Now, when you start sweating, you need some electrolytes, sodium, potassium, very crucial. But it's extremely rare enough that you're going to change your electrolytes by sweating that much. In fact, I'm sure that you've heard those famous uh, cases of people run the Boston Marathon and overhydrate and they die of too little sugar called hyponatremia and they get seizures. So it's a very fine balance, but your body's pretty good at it. With healthy kidneys, your, body, your body's pretty, pretty good at, at coping with that. I just can't stress enough how bad sugar is, Jim. I just, it's the number one cause of, uh, of um, kidney transplants, diabetes, wiping out kidneys. Um, well, I could go over and over. Amputation, gangrene, uh, infection, uh, bowel dying off in your age. It's all in a hyperglycemic state. The other, the other thing too, I mean, there's just, obviously the American food producers have, you know, come up with quote unquote, you know, healthy options um, for people. But I think in order to make it taste good, you know, they have to add a lot of sugars that you're never going to know you're actually ingesting. And, um, you know, so I do know people that have, spent inordinate amounts of time trying to lose weight, um, mostly through, you know, packaged food diets where it's labeled as, you know, low fat, low calorie. Um, and they're 
basically eating, ingesting a bunch of chemicals, but it tastes good. And at the end of the day, they think they're losing weight. In reality, they're gaining weight. And they get very frustrated. Gym and also very frustrated. And it's that yo-yo over, up and over. And again, you can lose weight easily. Starve yourself. That's not healthy. Again, that's why if, we, if we're going to recommend books to read, the book that changed my life was about 14, 15 years ago by Mark Sisson called Primal Blueprint. Uh, he goes through the science very well. He just updated it about a year and a half ago, two years ago, called Two Meals a Day, which by the way, Jim, at our Optimal Bio, that's what I wish we wrote the book because that's what we've been teaching for our, our patients, a lunch and dinner or a breakfast and lunch. And he walks through the science behind that as well. Uh, also another great book, Jason Fung's two books. I can't stress that enough. And Mark uh, and Sean Baker's book, Carnivore Diet. The science from real scientists showing the data is great. Again, the government making a food pyramid has destroyed us. Just look at look at the last 50 years. We don't have to guess why we're obese. We don't have to guess this. In 1998 versus 2018, a study came out showing that 12% of our military who eat the standard American diet, 12% were overweight in 1998. It was 82% in, in 2018. We have, we have papers upon papers on papers. And the, what they teach us is this. Jim, Greg, it's your fault. You're not in the gym hard enough. You're not working out hard enough. You're not starving yourself hard enough. And that's not it. Go to any workout place. And you know, I mean, I noticed myself. I was the same weight all the time. I get them working out. Then I have a smoothie with 8,000 grams of carbs. And you go back to the same thing over and over and over again. I'm not working out hard enough. I'm not working out hard enough. That's not it. Your body's extremely smart and understands what to do. And that's why, to me, I found, Jim, the intermittent fasting is the greatest way to go. Because within those hours you eat, you could eat more fat if you like more protein, more protein. And even those who want more complex carbohydrates, you can get away with it during that process. Because, like, like vegetarians, because it's the 12 to 14 hours of no sugar allows your body to eat itself up the bad parts, the autophagy, the microphagy, so that the system is healthier. That to me is the crux of this whole talk today. Avoid sugar and do intermittent fasting. You mentioned a lot of books but you're a doctor and it's probably very easy for you to understand what these other doctors are talking about or writing about in this case. Are, is there one book in particular that is written in a way that the average person who's not medically trained could understand? I think all those are, Jim, but if you had to say one, Mark Sisson's book is fantastic. Two meals a day. That's probably the simplest book a little more nerdy, but still very well written is Jason Fung's books. And Jason's very popular out there on YouTube. His videos are fantastic. He makes a complex issue very simple. And I, I also, Jim, I do believe we, we think doctors know so much. And I, th I don't think that's true. How many classes of nutrition I take in medical school? Let's make it easy, Jim. Zero, <laughs> zero, okay? And I did diabetes for years. It's you learn it, it's continuing education and not always continuing education when I'm seeing things not working. And then I listen to Jason or Mark's books and I read these or Sean's or other people like him in the past. And I go, wow, that makes, <laughs> I wrote my, my biochemistry um, thesis in college was actually on, on gluconeogenesis. Um, I, I got a C though. I wish it was better than that. But I wish I, I wish I could apply it because back then I learned, I thought, my goodness, we do not need sugar. We make sugar if we don't have sugar. That if we don't need that much to be to let to, to run the function needs to run, and fat is crucially healthy for us. Um, so again, your brain's virtually 100% fat. That's why it's so important to understand our nervous system is basically fat. When you look at um, you know uh, MS, it's it's 
it skip lesions within the, the myelin sheath, which are made with fat. Uh, 50% of every cell membrane is cholesterol. That's why it's very important to, um, I think, educate ourselves on what goes in our body. I don't care what goes in your body. We should know what's going. We should educate ourselves on that. Sure. Obviously, these books, you know, uh, created a, an enlightenment time, a lightning time for you, and, and you've changed since then. Um, for those out there that are trying to change but still want to enjoy life, um, obviously, it goes back to the adage that, you know, if you do everything in moderation, you're probably going to be okay. Exactly. So let's be current right now. You know, again, we got the pile of candy that's sitting in our house at this point in time. Um, I think realistically, most people aren't just going to throw everything into the garbage and, you know, go on a sugar-free diet the next day. Um, so if you are going to indulge in a candy bar, for example, every once in a while, because I think all of us have a little bit of a sweet tooth. Um, you know. I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your, which, how do you do it then? What's your plan? To make, I, I, I personally eat about four hours a day, Jim. So if I'm going to have a Snickers or, or something like that, uh, I'm going to have it within those four hours. Right. So therefore, I'm, I'm not going to get on top of those bad hours. Um, uh, I was actually a diabetic 12, 13 years ago. And that time I was doing triathlons and I was doing CrossFit, but I was eating three meals a day, three snacks, oatmeal, brown rice, all that stuff, uh, pasta for loading, all this if you're supposed to do. And when I, when I, when I read Mark's book, this is in, um, in 2011, I lost 32 pounds in six weeks by continuing my workouts, continue what I did, but just got rid of oatmeal and breads and ate. I didn't know I, I didn't know I was intermittent fasting, but I was doing it within an eight hour, nine hour period, but I got rid of all breads, all rice, all, all candy, all ice cream, everything. I got possessed for about two years on that. And then when I started learning more about intermittent fasting, then you realize you could have some stuff. I mean, people on a glass of wine, just have it during your time of, of your eating. If you do that, it's, it's, hey, you know, I, you know me personally. I love life. Let's enjoy. I, I'm Italian. I love, I love sitting on the dinner table for an hour, hour and a half every night. We do that for years. But just make sure it's in front of that is, is advantageous to our body, to our children. Um, and, we, and we do have to teach, teach our children um, things now. So when they're older, they don't, they're not going to fight the disease we had to fight, Jim. And a Mediterranean diet is phenomenal. I know there's some breads in it. I understand that. But again, a bread, as you know, you've been in Europe many times. The bread over there is different than the bread over here. It sounds crazy, but it truly is. Oh, you're absolutely right. And there are places you can you can buy that type of bread right. uh, in the area. Um, I think Harper's mm -hmm. Bakery is one of them. And, and if you do bread, Jim, if it's like that within your hours of eating, gob butter on it, real butter, grass-fed butter. Butter's the best part. Like those things, you know, the, the bagel, uh, there's more sugar in a bagel than there is a Krispy Kreme donut. Uh, people don't realize that kind of stuff. So I'm, uh, but I would, I, when I, when we do our talk here, Jim, and our wellness talk here at Optimal Bio, these things, I just try to say, let's just try to commit and give yourself a couple, a week to get through this or a week. But at the same time, I don't want to set you for failure. Don't go for 10 hours a meal. Let's start with 12 hours. Then work to 10 hours and we'll work. Uh, uh, Mark has a great part in his book about not setting for failure. You don't want to fail. And the scale is useless. It's inches around your waist. That's, I don't care if you're a male or female. The key to health is inches. Again, that's visceral fat, which is inflaming, pushing outwardly. That's why it's important. The only thing that really matters is your waist size. And it's not because you're not working out hard enough. Walk, working out's great. But only 5% of our overall weight or health is working out. The other 95% is what we ingest. And then, again, Jason, when you ingest. Well, it's about that time of uh, the podcast where we want to leave our audience with five takeaways. I think you've already probably said them multiple times. Um, 
But for the practical person out there that's just trying to do better, mm-hmm. trying to eat less sugar, trying to lose a little weight, trying to be more, become more healthier, um, and to your point, you know, not fail at it, um, you know, can you give them some, give five takeaways? First thing is I would definitely start intermittent fasting and start with a time you think you can do. Make it 12. The studies show 12 hours is the minimum for the mitochondria and the, and the autophagy to start occurring. So start with that and stay there. Then within your 12 hours of eating, lean towards more of a fatty protein meal. Just, just do that. And don't kill your carbohydrates. Don't go bread free. I wish you do. I wish you would. Cause once you get the first week under your belt, if you have some pasta, you have a stomach ache, you won't do it again. It's the, once you cut, but again, suffer failure, don't suffer failure. Then cut it to 11 hours, 10 hours, and then find out what foods you really enjoy in the fatty, um, you know, uh, you know, Sean Baker talks about, he loves ribeyes every day. I'm sort of that way. So are you, but find food that you like, you enjoy eating and food. should be an enjoyment. Uh, Jason's so great in his book. He says society has been for 6,000 years. We are, uh, we're built for, for episodes of famine and episodes of feasting. That's what the body's done. And it's very good at that. So there's nothing wrong with having your Thanksgiving, have your feast, your Halloween. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you can, the first thing, Jim, okay, number one, find your hours. Number two, decrease your sugar. Number three, filtered water. Get filtered water in your house. If it's, I find Berkey system to be one of the best, easiest ones you put next to your refrigerator, next to your, um, your faucet and fill it up every day. Number four, walk. Don't join the gym, run to CrossFit tomorrow. Just start walking. And the fifth, which is the most important, sleep hygiene. Turn the TV off, turn the phone off at least an hour, half hour before you go to bed. A good night's sleep helps all inflammatory markers. So Jim, I think those are the five things I would do. Sounds great, Greg. Thank you very much for your time today. And for those out there, I did try the, the intermittent fasting and it tarred at first, but to Greg's point, if you can maintain that 12 hour window so for example you go out to a party one night and you the last thing you consumed was at 10 o'clock at night then just you know keep yourself busy the following morning until 10 o'clock in the morning um you don't have to be as rigid where it's going to be 7 p.m to 7 a.m every single morning or 8 to 8 um but just always maintain that 12 hour window and hopefully that puts you on a nice path to success thank you dr brennan uh thank you jim thank you everybody for listening i appreciate it This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brandon, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, medical director Greg Brandon, production assistance by Core Media, Beth Gravencourt, administrator, Kevin Duthu, executive producer. The podcast can be found on our website, optimalbio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound. <laughs>